0: crossings podcast community this teaching is called songs for the end of an era and is the first teaching in our psalms mixtape series it was taught by caleb gilmore on april 16th 2023 thanks for listening Good good morning how are you guys doing good uh so When I was in the fifth or sixth grade, um, my family did not have a lot of money. Didn't have uh, a lot of extra budget room for frivolous things. Um, So I had this ritual that I would perform uh, every week or so. I would go into my room, uh, after all my homework was done, and I would get down on the floor, and I would get the boombox out of my closet, which was already tuned to electric 94.9 and I would insert a blank cassette tape, and with perfect precision, I would record a mixtape of all of my favorite songs that were on America's top 40. Anybody else do this? Welcome to a series that will date every single person in the room. Because some of you are too old to have had this experience, perhaps, and some of you don't even know what a cassette tape is. Things got a bit more uh, technologically advanced Uh, as things went on in a middle school. I discovered um, a free program called LimeWire. It was illegal. (laughs) After only 16 hours, my dial-up internet could download 12 of my favorite songs, (laughs) which I could then listen to on my portable CD player. Now we have Spotify and Apple Music and all other kinds of options to create endless playlists of our favorite songs of all time. But there was something about the limitations of the cassette tape and the timing of recording the button so that you didn't catch the DJ's commentary. You could create an eclectic mix of all of your favorite songs, but you had to work for it. Today, we're beginning a new series inspired by the mixtape. For the next several weeks, we're going to study the Psalms of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, The Psalms are a collection of Israel's ancient poems and prayers, uh, and at times, we're told that some of them were even set to music. Uh, The the Greek word psalm actually means song. Um, Some of these songs or poems were private confessions, they were prayers. Others were public laments. Uh, or worship liturgies for a group of people going to the temple in Jerusalem. So the psalms themselves are something of a mixtape. There are 150 psalms in the Hebrew Bible, 151 if you have the Greek. Uh, and we know, though, that these 150 psalms were not the only poems that were composed in the ancient world. They were something of a top 150, the best of the best, uh, a mixtape of Israel's greatest hits, and so uh, we're going to be entering into this book, Um, and so until March 1st, 2026, uh, we're going to be studying a single psalm each Sunday. No, we do not have the time for that, and Molly threatened to fire me if we did. Um, What we will be doing, though, is offering a kind of mixtape of our own, of a sampling of all these different psalms that exist in the book. Um, We're going to explore the different genres of psalms in the Hebrew Bible, mixing and matching uh, from different psalms to show us the variety that's there in these poems and these prayers and these songs that existed in ancient Israel. And we're doing this for several reasons. Uh, First of all, we have a diverse community of people uh, in in our gathering here that are all over the place when it comes to faith. Uh, Some of us have very comfortable prayer lives, Uh, We feel close to God. We have a good sense of what it means to talk to God or to hear from God. Others among us aren't really sure uh, what prayer means anymore or how we're supposed to express ourselves to God or what it means for God to speak to us. What happens uh, when we pray? Is it a list of demands that we're demanding from God? What happens if we pray for something and don't get it or aren't answered? What does it mean that for every answered prayer that we do perceive from God, there are multiple prayers that seem to go without acknowledgement? And if prayer isn't telling God what we need and asking for it, then what is it? What What makes it different from going to therapy Or meditating. Um, We think that by studying the Psalms, we'll get a picture of the diverse kinds of expression and experiences that ancient Israel felt comfortable voicing to God and to each other. Because prayer and worship aren't just about feeling good uh, or being grateful or asking for help. And even if you don't know how to pray, or you don't know if you can pray anymore, I think most people feel comfortable being drawn into poetry, listening to words that are compact and concise, that leave things open, that don't close things off, that invite us into deeper meditation about what someone is trying to say, which is really what the Psalms are. So over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to try to cover the full spectrum of human experience and emotion that exists within the Psalms. And we're going to ask how these songs might speak to us and perhaps for us. But it's also clear, and one of the reasons that we're studying these books is because uh, even the way we worship on Sunday, the songs that we sing, isn't necessarily as well-rounded as the collection of psalms in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, For instance, a pretty conservative estimate reveals that the psalms are composed of something like 40% lament, uh, cries of anger or grief Questions. And ancient Israelite worship then consisted of 60% Psalms of praise or thanksgiving. And it's pretty close to 50 50 when we open the Psalms uh, about what we're going to get somewhere between the good of the world and the bad of the world. But if you go to CCLI, which is Christian Copyright Licensing International, uh, which tracks the songs that we sing in church, not just crossings, but like all across. Uh, communities who legally use uh, the worship lyrics on Sunday, Um, among the top 100 worship songs, about 95% of the songs we sing on Sunday are about praise and thanksgiving, leaving only about 5% generously classified as lament or acknowledging in some way that things are not the way that they're supposed to be in the world. If you go back old school to the hymn books, it gets a little bit better, but not much. Less than 10% of American hymnals are made up of songs that could be categorized as lament. So when it comes to comparing the songs that we sing on Sundays versus the songs that the ancient Israelites sang, it's pretty clear that we have a problem embracing worship that doesn't express only positive emotions which means that our worship is not only out of line with all of the emotions that we have to experience as human beings, it's also not very biblical. Studying the Psalms, we think, as a community, is one way to correct this. And if you're a songwriter and you want to write a depressing Psalm, that would be great. As we study, uh, we would actually like you, though, to invite, uh, we would like to invite you to write your own Psalms, as we go uh, throughout this series, throughout these books of the Psalms, the different genres and types of songs and poems that we study. Because at the end of the study, what we'd like to do is create an ebook of all of the Psalms that come from our community and give them out to you uh, to see where people among us are finding new ways of expressing themselves to God and to us as a community. Um, I would prefer that these remain anonymous, though they don't have to, because most of the Psalms truly are anonymous. Uh, The book of Psalms really isn't about who wrote each individual poem, but it's about a collection of poems and prayers and songs that are for the community and its formation. So without further delay, uh, let's take a look at the book of Psalms in the most logical place to start Psalm 1, which says Blessed is the one who does not walk among the wicked group or in the path of sinners stand or in the company of arrogant scoffers sit, but whose delight is in the teachings of Yahweh and who meditates on Yahweh's teaching day and night. So right off the bat, uh, we have to notice that the first psalm, In a collection of songs or prayers, isn't actually a song or a prayer itself, but something of a wisdom saying. Blessed or happy or fortunate is the person who avoids the wrong crowds, but instead meditates on God's teaching. This word teaching or instruction that you find here in the first few verses is the Hebrew word Torah. Uh, which is also a word that we use to talk about the first five books of the Bible. Some translations render Torah as law, which I do not personally prefer. I don't think that's the best translation. Torah, even though it contains what we might think of as legal uh, connotations or legal codes, was less about legalistic living than it was about a way of life. Torah is about instructions for a new kind of, of humanity, as we've said before. Torah was about being in relationship with the divine through teaching, through study, as a way of changing the way you live your life. It was about this word covenant or an agreement to live as God would have humans live. So Psalm 1 begins by saying that people who are truly happy those who are fortunate or are blessed are those who continually think about and ponder how to live in harmony with God and God's creation. People who think about Torah. But we should also pay attention to the rhythm of this Psalm. This is part of taking in the poetry that the ancient Hebrews enjoyed. Sometimes when we're reading Psalms or, or the Old Testament, we uh, notice that things seem repetitive to us. Um, and while that may seem superfluous, it gets boring for us maybe as Western readers, that's actually the dominant part of what Hebrew poetry was all about. Uh, Hebrew poetry worked on the basis of repetition and parallel themes. So the author of this poem repeats the idea of the wicked and the sinner and the arrogant, but it's not just the repetition of those kinds of people that are important Uh, That's not repetition for the sake of belaboring a point. There's actually movement, if you'll notice this, in the first couple verses. The psalmist says, blessed are those who don't walk. Blessed are those who don't then stand. Blessed are those who don't then sit among the kinds of people that don't make their life around the teachings or the Torah of God. There's this gradual lack of movement. There's a resignation. It's walking to standing to sitting. It's stagnation. This is not about being the kind of this is about being the kind of people that do not settle down in a way of living that is harmful to themselves or others. Instead, the psalmist invites us to constantly be considering God's teachings as a way of life, never settling, never slowing down, never stop moving in our pursuit of shalom, the way God would have things be. So let's keep going in the psalm. It says, That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Now we get to another aspect of Hebrew poetry, and really poetry in general. Uh, which is about imagery, the image. Uh, This poet wants us to think of the righteous, the meditative soul, as a tree that is planted by a source of water, which is hard to come by in the arid conditions of Israel and Mesopotamia. He wants us to think of a tree that is fruitful and productive, a tree that endures harsh climates. It's very likely uh, that the book of Psalms started coming together at least at its earliest point in Israel's exile after its kings had been defeated and many of its people were living in foreign lands under forced deportation. Eugene Peterson in his book, Answering God, talks about the Psalms like this. He says, Israel, during the time that the Psalms were collected, Made into its prayer book, sorry, Israel during the time that the Psalms were collected and made into its prayer book was in Babylonian exile. Babylon was flat and featureless. A single river flowed through the country. The Babylonians had cut a network of irrigation channels across the land, transplanted to the banks of these irrigation ditches. The Israelites thought they were in the worst place possible for prayer. They didn't think they could pray, but they did. How did they do it? By letting God's word enter their lives again, they're in exile, and letting God's address pull answers out of them. They immersed themselves in Torah meditation. Before they knew it, they were praying. They were trees transplanted to Babylon. They put down roots put out leaves, and produced fruit. The Psalms in chapter 1 start out with not an actual prayer. In a whole book of prayers, Psalm 1 is not. Instead, it is a call to live the kind of life in which a response to God is possible. Even in exile, even in a bleak condition, it is possible to offer a response to God. It is possible to be trees transplanted to an environment where fruit is possible. Just keep studying. Just keep meditating. Keep going. The psalmist continues. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners In the assembly of the righteous, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. A few things to point out. We have to remember that the best context to think about all of this, again, this psalm and many of the other psalms, is in the context of exile. Most of the Hebrew scriptures, when they talk about how Israel ended up in exile and why they were there, talk about the exile as a punishment for the people of Israel who refused to live according to the agreement, the covenant that they had made with their God Yahweh. So this psalm, this poem in particular, is mostly a call to a people who felt like they had been punished. A a call to people who ended up in a foreign land because of their bad politics and because of their bad theology. And this psalm says, don't keep going along with the crowd that landed you in exile. You have to get out of this mindset that landed you in this foreign place, this place that you don't feel like prayer is possible in. You have to change. If you want to put down roots and have stability, think about Yahweh's teaching." Think about the way of life that God would want you to live, because if you want to keep getting blown around all over the place into these exiles, just keep on with the thoughtless lifestyle you had from before. Even in exile, this psalmist is telling its people in the first psalm it's possible to change, it's possible to reconnect with the divine. But we also have to pay attention to the little neat binary categories uh, that this poet uses. There are righteous people, and then there are wicked people. It's just as simple as that, right? We all know who the wicked people are, and we all know who the righteous people are. In some case, the ancient Israelites were not so different from us. They too had partisan, simple categories for their people. And while the first psalm draws clean, neat lines between the righteous Torah-contemplative people and the wicked, rebellious sinners. The rest of the Psalter, if you keep going, sort of muddies the water a little bit. As we will see, every other psalm does not portray life so neatly. For instance, Psalm 137 says things like this. By the rivers of Babylon, same place that we assume Psalm 1 taking place in, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion, the holy hill of Jerusalem. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? Seems to be kind of the opposite sentiment of Psalm 1. It keeps going. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you. According to what you have done to us, happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Where's that worship song? This poem has no optimistic outlook on the Babylonian environment. There's no mention of the possibility of being a tree transplanted into the watery location of their exile. There is only weeping. There is a question. There is a brutally graphic plea for retribution and violence. Take a look at Psalm 13, which begins, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Psalm 1 says that Yahweh will take notice of the way of the righteous, which generally does tend to work out. But Psalm 13 begins by questioning whether or not Yahweh is paying attention to the righteous. How long must my enemies triumph over me while I do what you want me to do, God? Despite the opening psalms' neat categories of righteous and wicked, The rest of the psalms that follow show us that Psalm 1 isn't necessarily a complete theology. Psalm 1 sets up up something of a spectrum. Yes, generally good people who think about God's way of life reap the benefits, but not always. The rest of the psalms then seem to fill in the gray areas of life Psalm 1 sets up the nice, neat, external boundaries, but the other psalms fill in everything in between. And the point of the psalms in and of themselves is not to set up a comprehensive, systematic theology that makes sense of suffering and success in the world. That's not what they're here for. The psalms, instead, offer us a theology that can contain multitudes, And if it seems that the multitudes of theological expressions in the psalms seem to contradict each other, that's life. The psalms offer a way of looking at the world that has room for all different kinds of self-expression and theological enlightenment, which is another way of saying prayer, even if it seems contradictory, even if it seems paradoxical. On March 23, 1915, uh, Russian composer Sergei Rachmaninoff uh, debuted an a cappella choral arrangement entitled All Night Vigil. It was based off of several liturgical chants. And the piece really consisted of text taken from the Russian Orthodox All Night Vigil ceremony, and it was praised as Rachmaninoff's finest achievement. And, several, uh, and and the greatest musical achievement of the Russian Orthodox Church. It, it was one of his favorite musical compos- uh, compositions. But what's interesting to me about Rachmaninoff's work um, is that it's church music that he composed when he himself had stopped attending religious services. Vesper III, um, in his all-night vigil, is entitled, Blessed is the Man, is based on Psalm 1, the text that we just studied. It was a part of his expression of what it meant to be a part of this religious community, even if he didn't feel like he himself was ready to go anymore. Rachmaninoff was himself not interested in the church, but there was something about the Psalms, particularly Psalm 1, that inspired him. If you know anything about Russian history, though, Uh, Two years after he composed this piece, the Russian Revolution began and the Soviet Union emerged. The new government condemned religious music like the all-night vigil created by Rachmaninoff. It's been written that no composition of music represents the end of an era so clearly as this liturgical work. After this, there was nothing like it because nothing like it could emerge. Engaging in Psalm 1, or any other psalm for that matter, I think is risky to certain kinds of power structures. Putting music to human expression directed to God is dangerous from the perspective of those who wish us to be cogs in the great machine of domination or compliance, In a world that currently feels like the end of an era, COVID-19 pandemic, more mass shootings this year than days we have been alive this year, the political partisanship that undermines unity in almost every turn, church scandals and abuse, it's risky to abandon the neat categories of theology that suggests clear boundaries of who is in and who is out, and who's blessed, and who is cursed, and who is righteous, and who is wicked. So, wherever you happen to find yourself in faith at this moment, if it feels like the end of an era for you, the end of the era of certainty, or the end of the era of doubting, wherever you are, I'm not sure that we can afford to ignore the full spectrum. Of expression voiced in the Psalms because everything in life belongs we may even find that in an exile that we experience even in the bleakest end of whatever era we think we're moving out of we find ourselves through these ancient words being given the language and the license to express gratitude and grief and anger and accusation and cries for help to a God who sometimes feels close and other times seems distant maybe even non-existent so wherever you happen to find yourself this morning for the rest of the time that we study these psalms we invite you to find a way to express exactly where that is Because that too belongs. Would you pray with me? God, we are grateful that in the poems and prayers preserved by the people of Israel, we were not given 95% positivity. But that we were given prayers and poems and songs that speak to us and for us in the ways that we feel day in and day out. That we ourselves contain multitudes and contradictions. That we go back and forth about how we feel about the community of faith and our own relationship with you on a daily basis. And so as we study these books together as a community, wherever we happen to be, May we may we feel that there is place for us to express ourselves from the darkest thoughts, the most visceral cries, to the most earnest and honest expressions of thankfulness. We thank you for the ability to bring all that we experience to our community. Into you ultimately. It's a new-